When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello, this is Henry Diltz, and you're listening to Rock and Roll Archaeology. Pantheon Podcasts presents Deeper Digs in Rock, part of the Rock and Roll Archaeology Project. Music, culture, technology, and rock and roll. Now, on with the show. Hey, so glad you could make it. Yeah, now you've really made it. Hey, so glad you could make it now, diggers. Okay, Christian Swain here, the rock and roll archaeologist, with another edition of Deeper Digs in Rock. Um, Let's see, what are we doing this week? Oh, we are recording this week at Busy Signal Studios in uh, Santa Clarita. And it's actually being engineered by our engineer-in-chief with Pantheon, Mr. Jerry Danielson. You want to say hi, Jerry? Hello! Oh, there you go. Well, uh, okay, that was good. Okay, so we have another new podcast for you uh, on the network, uh, and that is called Rock and Roll Heaven. And it is hosted by two wonderful ladies out of Los Angeles, L.D., and T.E. It's Lindley and Tracy, if you ask me. But uh, that's what they go by. And, uh, you know, Rock and Roll Heaven is uh, a show where uh, they discuss the lives and careers and deaths of iconic musicians throughout history. Uh, and it's a weekly show. So uh, uh, they do about three a month. Um, so uh, definitely check this out. Uh, it's uh, It sounds like a lot of fun. And we are real excited to have LD and uh, TE on the network. So I'm on the road this week, remote, if you will. Uh, So I'm not going to bore you with uh, all the uh, marketing and uh, business of uh, Pantheon Podcasts, except to say, hey, go to PantheonPodcasts.com to find uh, every bit of information you would want to know about us. And yes, Patreon, if you want to be a patron. Join uh, Patreon. Just go to patreon.com backslash rock and roll podcast. That's singular. Uh, and you can be like uh, new member David Greenberg, uh, who uh, just gave a pledge uh, in the last week. Thank you very much, David. We greatly appreciate it. So um, tell a friend, do it yourself, and then get your friends to do it. That would be great. That would be a big help. It helps us uh, cover the costs of uh, all the shows that we are presenting to you. Hey, one other thing before I go, uh, let me say that, you know, we've had some people um, uh, send some mail uh, complaining about the main feed. Um, And I I understand, uh, you know, we put um, all of the shows uh, in the main feed uh, as they come out. 
And we kind of think of that as like a music magazine. So it's, you know, it's like opening up Rolling Stone magazine. You don't read every article. You read only the ones uh, that interest you, that the headline makes you go, wow, I, I want to see the rest of that. Uh, and that's the kind of the same concept with the main feed. If you don't uh, like a particular show or a podcast or an episode, um, just skip it, you know. And most importantly, Every show does have its own feed out there as well. So if you only like certain shows, make sure you subscribe to those feeds in your favorite podcast platform. And you can skip uh, the main feed. But if you do, you'll miss some of the new things that are coming out that you can sample and taste and see if you like them. All right. So keep that in mind. Okay, that's it. That's the business. Let's move on to the show. everybody. So this week, uh, we have uh, John Wiederhorn as our guest. Uh, John is an author of uh, several uh, heavy metal books, uh, most famously Louder Than Hell, uh, the definitive oral history of metal. Uh, and now he's just released uh, kind of a companion to uh, to that uh, that book. It's called Raising Hell: Backstage Tales from the Lives of Metal Legends. Um, it's uh, it's more of a kind of I, I like to call them bathroom books. You know, it's one of those things that you can just pick up and point your finger at a particular page and just start reading because it's mostly these short clips and uh, interviews with just a ton of uh, of meddlers out there i mean uh you 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 have um uh, twisted sister black sabbath judas priest slipknot slayer lamb of god disturbed megadeth uh gogoroth municipal waste and throw down i mean you got guys from all of those bands uh chiming in talking about uh their their stories yeah, so it's 17 chapters of these little snippets from just a ton of interview from, you know, the most famous and infamous uh, meddlers uh, of all time. Uh, and, and some of these chapters are great. I mean, they're, they're obvious uh, expectations, like, you know, breaking the law. Uh, yes, the Judas Priest song, but literally these guys breaking the law out there. Uh, you know, happy drunks and unhid uninhibited idiots. Uh, you know, uh, the, the chapter three is uh, uh, take is needed for pain from weed warriors to smack addicts, you know, so drugs and all that. Uh, Revelation nausea, technicolor rainbows and yuck malts for you all. Chapter fives, girls, 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 groupies, strippers and chicks and rock. I won't go through them all, but, you know, it's a life on the road. It's life being a, a, a heavy metal player out there. Uh, it's forwarded by uh, Exodus and Slayer guitarist Gary Holt. 
and it's just a fun read. I, I really enjoyed just picking it up and perusing through it and, um, you know, finding something to laugh at uh, or to go, oh, Jesus, I can't believe they did that or got away with it. So that's, uh, that's, that's what it's uh, about. And we're going to get into it here. So, uh, ladies and gentlemen, let's meet John Wiederhorn. Welcome to Deeper Digs and Rock, John Wiederhorn. How are you doing today? I'm doing well, thanks. Well, glad to have you on the show. Uh, before we dive into Raising Hell, uh, first tell us about how uh, you were forced into becoming a metal journalist against your own best interests. <laughs> well, it certainly was against my own best interests, and it's a careful what you ask for scenario. Yeah, yeah. But um, I always loved music and uh, discovered metal at a fairly early age. Uh, along with uh, you know classic rock and alternative and and uh, you know different forms of uh, of rock punk hardcore uh, metal was uh, something that that I gravitated to regularly and kind of kind of really that the whole idea of the of the culture of it and the the power of it really fascinated me and probably got me through many of my teenage years mm-hmm. <laughs> but uh, um, you know, having this knowledge of music and metal um, put me in a, a pretty good position when I, I, I've always been a, a fairly strong or at least interested writer. And in, in high school, I did some writing for the school paper, and I was able to get a couple of pieces on, on music and musicians. But it wasn't really until I went to a college at Boston University uh, majoring in uh, uh, journalism and mm-hmm. communication. Mm-hmm. That um, you know, I had some great teachers, and and I got a firm foundation in general reporting, and you know, reporting crime scenes, reporting county council meetings, the the, the real one on one stuff. Right. But I worked for the, the shoe paper. leather stuff. Well, yeah, yeah. But you know, I always I worked for the school paper, and and there were these opportunities to get records for free if you wrote about them. Like wow, that sounds cool. Yeah. So I ended up doing some reviews, and I thought, well, you know, I love talking. Little to did you know that that's really just slave labor, but sure. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> um, and then you know, I, I I'd already done lots of profile stories on on people from you know various realms of life. And I thought, well, what if I could do this with musicians too? And I, I was a you know big reader of a lot of the music press, uh, Cream, Rolling Stone, and the, the Kerrang, uh, uh, you know. Even Hit Parader and Circus kind of crossed my desk. So, um, you know, 
I'd always had an interest in that. And it was sort of a dream to be able to, uh, to, to write for some of those publications, not even realizing at the time that it was something I could uh, work to do. And, and uh, foolishly believing at the time that anybody who had a byline was doing uh, super well financially. <laughs> and was, uh, if you can get this magazine, yeah. man, you got to Yo, be. Oh, you got to be, have it made. It yeah, yeah. Live life yeah. just like those rock stars, right? Like, yeah, kind of like saying anybody who's got a record out, wow, they've yeah. got it. Yeah, you're yeah, rich yeah. in a mansion somewhere. So um, anyway, in uh, in college, I did a semester abroad in London, and uh, oh, it was a good place with, for a metal journalist to go. It, it was great, but uh, it was with a, a program through Boston University, and uh, they hooked us up with internships throughout the city. Um, and having been in the journalism program, they had various magazines, and uh, there weren't really websites at the time, so really newspapers and magazines to work with. I had expressed that I was very interested in music and and would love to work somewhere like a uh, Kerrang or or enemy uh, or something like that. Yeah, mm. well, funny enemy hadn't really crossed my my radar at that time. Mm. Uh, it wasn't as available in the states, or at least that wasn't where I gravitated towards. Mm -hmm. So they got back to me and offered me History Today. I said, "Really, History Today magazine? It's just you know, is there is there anything in the music field?" So my advisor got back to me a day or two later and said, well, we're sorry that uh, Kerrang! is taken, but there's a magazine called Melody Maker that's interested yeah. in, uh, in having an intern. And uh, I said, great. You know, I wasn't super familiar with the publication, but I ran out and bought copies. And at the time, they were – this is the early 90s. They were all over the uh, British uh, yeah, scene. Yeah, pop Yeah. Yeah. The, 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 yeah. And even pre-Brit. Oasis and uh, what was coming. Yeah, yeah. Well, it was yeah, it was the Stone Roses and the Charlotte mm. UK. Yeah. Well, yeah. they were charlatans in the UK. Yeah, and so the Manchester that Manchester scene. Yes, exactly. Mm. The Happy Mondays, the Manchester scene, and um, being a fan of classic rock and psychedelia, I was able to tap into a lot of that stuff because uh, a lot of those guys were taking crazy drugs and making you know wildly trippy music. Um, but I, I really enjoyed it, and then found bands that approached it from more of a punk angle, like Jesus and Mary Chain, who really cranked up the distortion, and, and certainly my buddy Valentine. But uh, I also made it clear to my editors that, uh, you know, I, I was an intern, so I'm at the bottom of the totem pole doing the calendar <laughs> listings and oh, rewriting yeah. press releases. But I said, you know, I'd love to do reviews or, or something. And, you know, there's bands like Faith No More that have that crossover appeal, and grunge was just starting to, uh, to take off. So, or, you know, um, they, they gave me some, uh, um, you know, gave me an opportunity really to, to, uh, get out to, to some of the clubs and, and, uh, do some reviews of some of the, the bands like Soundgarden and Nirvana, who are just starting to really cross the radar over there. And then, uh, I, I remember reviewing a few metal albums for them, which no one else at the magazines wanted to touch because it was, metal was not the domain of enemy and the, uh, and the and melody the maker. Right. But Faith No More were kind of a metal band, and, and yeah. uh, they also fit into the alternative realm. So mm -hmm. I was able to review their show and write about their album. And, and uh, I did some actual thrashy metal albums, too. They let me do a uh, No More Color by the band Coroner, which was a stretch for them. But I guess they wanted a little bit of metal content in there because there were other publications like Sounds and uh, you know, hip, not hip reader, uh, Kerrang and, 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 uh, metal hammer. So, um, in any case, uh, I got to do a lot of writing 
for them. And then when I came back to the States, I was a stringer for them. And it really brought me into the, uh, the world of metal journalism. So um, when I graduated from Boston University, I did uh, an awful lot of writing really from the ground up. And there were so many fanzines and uh, sort of lower tier magazines like Alternative Press and Raygun and all of the all of the uh, record stores had publications. So, you know, record stores, God, what are they? John, so, John, you're it, talking about things that uh, some of our listeners, uh, you know, believe is ancient history uh, and maybe <laughs> and maybe never really existed. <laughs> exactly. But Tower Tower uh, Records was an institution and I got to write their metal section for, for their for their magazine Pulse and do a bunch of articles and interviews for them. So I know I'm dating myself here and I'm I'm straying from the, the, the you know content of of the book, but working my way through the kind of journalistic field over the years, uh, I wrote for many different magazines and mm. was on staff at Rolling Stone at MTV and uh, Guitar uh, Magazine. And eventually got the point where uh, I was like, well, you know, I kind of want to do a book. I've reached this level where I'm writing for all these publications. But, you know, if you write a book, you must be a millionaire. <laughs> so, um, I had an agent and uh, sadly, he recently passed, which is, oh, which is, which is a you know, bummer. Yeah. But um, he had a lot of experience uh, working with music books and uh, working with uh, iconoclasts like, uh, you know, members of the Hells Angels. I think the guy's name is Sonny Bargell. I'm Sonny, like, Sonny Barger. Yeah, Barger, Barger. Yeah, he mm. did his book. Yeah. And uh, he, he was uh, this rough well, fellow. Well, that'll in fit into one of my upcoming questions. So, okay. All right. So, Sonny Barger, uh, did you write a book about? I don't remember that. No, 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 not at all. Oh, my oh agent, your agent was familiar with that. Okay. Yeah. And he said, uh, you know, would ah, you like to do a book about metal? I'm like, yeah, I would love to do a book about uh, about metal. At the time, Judas Priest was thinking of doing a full book, a uh, a memoir. Mm -hmm. And uh, he he asked if I you know knew about them and wanted to do it. I'm like absolutely. And he acted like it was mine. He's like, great, you know, we'll, we'll interview the band for about three months, and uh, you'll have this long to turn it in. It'll pay this amount of money. I'm like, that's awesome. Let's let's yeah, roll yeah. with this. Little did I know that there were proposals involved, and yeah. the other side actually said, yeah, we want to do a book. So you know they had to say that, and they didn't. Uh, they were kind of contemplating at the time, and then they decided they'd hold off. Uh, so he said, well, what if you did a book about the history of metal? I said, yeah, you know, there's a lot of good history books about metal. And, uh, I said, you know, but one of my favorite books about punk is please kill me by Leg oh, McNeil. Oh, McNeil. Yeah. Fantastic. A mm -hmm. thorough oral history of, of the early days of punk. And, uh, it was done in a, in a, in a way that, that really focused on, the um, experiences and, and the lifestyle of, of the musicians and, and of the people who were in the various scenes. So I ended up with a, a contract with HarperCollins to do a book on metal called Louder Than Hell. Mm -hmm. And uh, that was about seven years ago. Uh, my agent thought I should work with another writer on it, which was very sensible because we ended up with over a thousand pages of insane transcriptive material. Um, and uh, the book was received really well. It was, uh, you know, a pretty thorough oral history from the 1960s to the present day. Um, and uh, I had good access to a lot of the bands, having interviewed them for different magazines and, and, and websites and, and uh, newspapers, as did my, my co-writer, Catherine Terman. Um, but what I found really interesting about the book and most exciting 
wasn't the parts where the artists talked about how they got together or, you know, what they did. and The, the origin story, right. Yeah, yeah, how they got signed. I mean, it's all very important to the history. But then they also told stories about what was going on in the scene at the time, you know, what, what the people were doing, you know, what the uh, culture was about, if there were drugs involved, what they were. Um, you know, if there were rivalries, what they were, if there were actual fights, who they were with. And, and, and that stuff fascinated me. Um, and I guess it comes from really the, uh, living vicariously through rock and roll books, <laughs> like, uh, no one here, here gets out alive. Ah, the, Danny the Sugarman. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. Yeah. Great book. And, and hammer of the gods, of that, course. Yes. Mm -hmm. Um, yep. and then in a more modern context, uh, Neil Strauss did a couple of, of, very uh, in-depth memoirs, um, um, The Dirt by Motley Crue, most specifically, and mm -hmm. a Marilyn Recently Manson. made into a movie. Yeah, in fact, just on Netflix last year, mm -hmm. after many, many years of... Uh, in development, right. Negotiations. Yeah, de yeah development. Yeah, yeah. So um, that, uh, you know, led me to this, this fascination in, in that type of content, which I knew people loved because it worked out so well in these best-selling books. Mm. Um, so I thought, you know, well, if I'm going to do another book on musicians, um, I'd already done several actual memoirs uh, working with artists as their, you know, guest writer or with writer. So mm -hmm. it says, by Scott Ian of Anthrax <laughs> and, and Tiny Letters with John Wiggerhorn. Um, so, but I did Scott's book with him, which was awesome. And, oh, I and, bet. I bet. He's a fascinating guy. Yeah, yeah, right, fascinating. And I did Al Jurgensen from Ministry's book, which was oh, a, yeah. a wild uh, roller coaster ride into the uh, nether. The mind, the mind. Yeah, it was, it was incredible, though. And yeah. He's smart and he's witty and 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 uh, certainly has lived the life. And wow. yeah. so that was that was a thrill to do. Yeah. Uh, the yeah. one other book before I did Raising Hell, just to give you the full history, was uh, a book on agnostic fronts frontman Roger Moret who, um, you know, was a big part of the hardcore scene in New York and helped nurture it and develop it and really was one of the kingpins. Uh, there's a recent documentary done on, uh, on the band called uh, Godfathers of Hardcore, which was on Showtime and which has been really well received. And my book came out shortly before that, um, but it was clear that they had a good following having been pioneers of of hardcore and Roger just opened it, opened up and, 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 uh, you know, told me all about his abusive childhood and, and his years selling cocaine to try to keep his band afloat and his time in jail, having been caught dealing cocaine and what it was like to be behind bars for 18 months, really intense stuff, you know, kind of like, uh, orange is the new black type, you know, material. Um, there are a few others that uh, fit in that category. Yeah. I think a Wayne, Wayne Kramer from the MC5, uh, yeah, a similar story. Uh, right. You know, it's right. not a unique situation, uh, but uh, uh, you know, uh, and and that is, I think, a, a thread in the in 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 the in the, the new book as well. Uh, in that, uh, uh, you know, uh, these guys have a persona of being incredibly dangerous and on the edge, and you know, they're not totally like that. No, no, but but a lot of them have lived that kid in the candy store kind of experience, and and that's what I wanted to get across with the new book, Raising Hell. Mm -hmm. I, I I'd already done a history of metal book, 
And my favorite parts were kind of the crazy stories. So I thought, well, what if I did a book just on all these wild stories? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Things because through the years, I've just heard so much stuff. And I thought if I cherry picked a bunch of guys who I knew had those stories and had lived wild, uh, uh, you know, indulgent lives and, and lived to tell about it and were willing to tell about it, that I could really have an interesting book here. Yeah. And um, it, it, you know, it worked out. I was able to get marquee names. Uh, you know, guys like uh, Corey Taylor from Slipknot yeah. and Keith mm-hmm. Snyder from from Twisted, Twisted Sister, Sister, of course, mm-hmm. Gary Holt of uh, Exodus and, and Slayer. And he, he actually wrote the foreword to the book, which I was uh, very, very grateful and, and uh, flattered mm-hmm. uh, about. Um, so, you know, and, and David Draymond from Disturbed. Uh, so there, there are some really big names. But then I also wanted to tap into some guys all the way, you know, reaching from the top and and going down to the B scale and the C scale. Um, so, you know, there's, there's an awful lot of people from the thrash era of metal yeah. uh, who have really interesting stories to tell, like the Death Angel guys. Um, you know, they're doing pretty pretty well now, and they've maintained a career through decades. But they were right there on the ground floor as teenagers when Metallica were becoming rock stars. And they were pals in the San Francisco scene. You know, they yeah. were Metallica's little brothers. Mm-hmm. So they were taken to these these wild parties after shows at Ruthie's and uh, they were able to uh, regale me with, with stories of things that Metallica don't talk about anymore. Um, Like, uh, you know, uh, at one point they were at this party and um, James Hetfield and the singer of Exodus, Paul Bailoff were were just all about destruction. So they smashed someone's pinball uh, table uh, game, you know, the glass and, and uh, I guess started trashing, the rest of the house and it, you know, if it's your house it all sucks it's a horrible thing but a lot of that did go on you know destruction was par for the course with the excess and and indulgence of of uh metal and you know these guys just trashed hotels and trashed their own buses and trashed dressing rooms and it's all it's all part of the rock and roll mythology that really just dates back to the days of the Who and oh, even before that, the original. Or, I mean, you know, Jerry Lee Lewis and a and a and a gun will get you somewhere yeah, uh, right. right there. Uh, you know, uh, uh, Chuck Berry and uh, you know, and a and Blood a teenager paper. will get you uh, another <laughs> chapter. So yeah, 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 yeah. It it starts very early and just uh, continues uh, all, all through the uh, the age of rock and roll. And metal's always been about excess, yeah, and, yeah. Uh, indulgence. So um, a lot of these guys were were cool with talking about these things, especially the ones who had been there and done that, and now had families and and um, you know uh, kids, and they were clean and sober. And in many cases, they didn't want to talk about their wild sexual romps, but they were okay talking about their drug days and their days of destruction. And some <laughs> well, of the now that we're in the Me Too movement, nobody, moment, we, nobody wants to talk about their yeah. sexual experience. No. But uh, ask me all about the drugs, since most of that's legal now. So. <laughs> <laughs> but there is, you know, it, despite the Me Too movement, uh, some guys did really open up uh, in very graphic detail. And and I think they did so because whatever they engaged in was uh, with full consent. Yeah, of the consensual. Yeah, yeah. Oh, uh, oh uh, you know, I've been a musician my whole life. And uh, in my early days, uh, uh, I got to experience some uh, wild and crazy times. And it was always 
more than consensual. I can guarantee you. <laughs> uh, in fact, if anybody was the the uh, trying to uh, stop, it would be more me than 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 the other side. Uh, well, I so... wish I had been there and done that, which is probably why I wrote about it. <laughs> but, all right, um... all right. So this is not your first metal rodeo. You've uh, you know you've you've been working on this for a long time. But sure. before I ask an, another question, I want to I want to just get one more thing about you. What what's the first band that you discovered on your own? Hello, Pantheon Podcast listeners. Christian Swain here to tell you more about my experience with Raycon earbuds. Our family now has three pairs of Raycon earbuds around the house. And my wife just grabbed a pair of the headphone pros to replace some headphones from a company that was double the price. And yes, she loves them. Now, if you haven't pulled the trigger on a pair of Raycons, or even if you have, but you're in the market for another pair because they're just that good, well, now is the time to check them out because they just launched their upgraded model of the best-selling everyday earbuds. With Raycon's upgraded everyday earbuds, now you also get active noise cancellation, ergonomic design, and multi-point connectivity that lets you pair with two devices at once, new quick charge function, three customizable sound styles, plus awareness mode, available in a variety of vibrant new colors to complement any and all skin tones. I even have a pair of earbuds in a cool green color. I have tried just about every earbud known to humankind, and these Raycons are fantastic. Seriously, if you've been wanting to check out Raycons, there truly is no better time. You're going to ask yourself why you didn't check them out sooner, and Raycon offers a 30-day happiness guarantee. So what are you waiting for? Go to buyraycon.com slash pantheon today to get 20% off your Raycon order, plus free shipping. That's right. You'll get 20% off and free shipping at buyraycon.com slash pantheon. Buyraycon.com slash pantheon. Hey folks, Stefan Shirazi and Renee Richardson here from the Metallica Report. And we are proud members of the Pantheon podcast family, where the best of music and podcasts unite. We've got something pretty cool for you. We're giving away an exclusive Metallica merch package worth over $250. That's a whole lot of scary guys, skulls, M72, and other sought-after Metallica swag. And we've made it easy for you to win. Follow and share the Metallica Report, and you're in the game. Go to pantheonpodcast.com slash Metallica, enter your email, and hit that button to be entered to win. And just like that, you're eligible for our monthly exclusive Metallica merch package. And guess what, rockers? You can enter every month. So just do it. And while we love our global brothers and sisters, the lawyers won't let us ship outside the U.S. Metal band or no, band? No, in general, just you. The first, you know, piece of music, like you know, like I, 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 I have, uh, I had aunts and uncles and 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 brothers who who like yeah. I got the hand me downs and you know the Beatles and the, I knew who the Stones were in America and things like that. But there's a very particular band that I know that I found on my own, and this was my first band, and and everything uh, builds from there. So what what was yours? Oh, okay. Well, um. You know, my, I, I inherited my parents' classical music collection and developed an appreciation for Bach, Beethoven, Tchaikovsky, and, you know, all kinds of good you know, fundamentals. Classical yes. music, romantic music. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, from all, yeah. all sorts Especially of Especially if you're going to fall into the metal world, which, you know, probably harkens more to the classical side. A lot of, of it is rooted in classical music. Yeah, yeah, it is. But, yeah. but, you know, I was, I was seven or eight or nine, and I wasn't, uh-huh. I hadn't hit that rebellious stage yet. Uh, <laughs> And then I had, I had a, a friend in school, 
Danny Papkin, who consequently many years later started a band called Candy Machine, I believe, out of out of Baltimore. But uh, he was he was a really really uh, a nice kid. I sixth grade, I think, um, and uh, he was a, a music fanatic. So he uh, he exposed me to 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 uh, Springsteen and the Who, um, bunch of different things, and Zeppelin, of course. And what I what I heard and loved was distorted guitar, but I didn't know what it was. You know, I couldn't tell from uh, you know um, a Beatles song like uh, my guitar gently weeps to you know um, the Who's My Generation. What was that buzzing sound? So he. Who he played guitar? He's like, oh yeah, that's distortion. Uh-huh. Like, distortion, cool. I gotta hear more of that. <laughs> okay. That's great. And what's it, what's it what's it when these guys like make these noises and it's not a full like guitar sound, but it's more like a bunch of little notes that follow each other. Oh, that's a guitar solo. So really, I was you know, I was in the one hundred and one level of of uh, discovering rock and roll, and and uh, he was the first to, to push me in the direction of. Of that, but the Who was my first real, real uh, love. There we go. Uh, and and I think they they planted a lot of the roots of the uh, debauchery, decay, uh, anger, and and um, um, energy that that ended up uh, destruction certainly, but that became a big part of what metal was and, mm-hmm. and is. Mm-hmm. Um, so they're one of the first bands I can really think of that was that was explosive like that. And I saw the Tommy movie when I was I don't know, twelve maybe. And it just blew my mind with all these psychedelic scenes and uh, you Clapton was in it and you had uh Roger Daltrey playing the deaf dumb and blind kid. Um so yeah, I had a really special spot from for the Who and that was when I started putting up pictures in my locker and you know, from there, just spread. Cheap Trick was my next love. And I remember going to a, a head shop in Bethesda, Maryland, where I lived, and not knowing what uh, bongs were or, or, you know, marijuana pipes, but knowing that the dudes in the back of the store showed uh, movies on a big screen of, uh, of rock and roll gigs. Oh, and wow. Me and my, my other 12-year-old friend, uh, this is a kid named Danny Krauk, um, we went back there and we requested artists. And they, Do you guys have anything by Kiss? And we're like, yeah, sure, we'll put on a Kiss video for you. This is before MTV. So, um, you know, we were able to to see Cheap Trick on stage and, and the Cars and the Who. And and uh, it was all, you know, a big part of my, my, my formative years. Um, I'd say the first metal band that really hit me was something my cousin introduced me to because I had been listening to all this all this music and Kiss and Zeppelin and even had been exposed to Rush, but uh, my first cousin goes. Uh, I was at their at the house of uh, my my cousins in Rockland, New, New York, and sitting by the pool, guy go pulls out his boombox and and he says, uh, "Hey, you want to hear something crazy?" Thank God, sure. Always love something crazy. Crazy. Like yeah. this will melt this. your brain. <laughs> it's, it's it did. He hit the play button. And it was, I hear these motorcycles revving and these guitarists start chugging. I'm like, ooh, this sounds pretty, pretty interesting. And it was Judas Priest's Hellbent for Leather, the title track from that album. And uh, I had never been exposed to that kind of metal. I'd heard a little bit of Black Sabbath, mm-hmm. but mostly I was still in the kind of ACDC, uh, um, you know, Led Zeppelin world, Aerosmith. Yeah. Yeah. And this was a cut above. The guitars were razor sharp. The vocals were screamed. 
and everything was just propulsive and 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 ferocious and i lost my mind <laughs> like <laughs> I this bet. i have to yeah. you know this is my band i have to discover this i bet nobody knows who these guys are and of course they became one of the biggest bands in metal and still are for good reason um but yeah that was uh, a long-winded answer but that was the first band i totally <laughs> latched into from the from the who uh, into cheap trick, a uh, little side genre, a uh, little side tracks, and then uh, to Judas Priest. Right, right. Uh, but um, they were a big part of the, you know, um, evolution of metal because really before them you had Black Sabbath, which were the definitive footprint. You know, yeah, the stomping yeah. boot in the cement. Mm -hmm. But they even had their influences. They were heavily influenced oh, by Blue Cheer and Cream Zeppelin. and people like right, that. Yeah, right, right, yeah. and 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 uh, Hendrix. Yeah. But then on the other side in the states, you know, you had yeah, Blue Cheer, MC5, the Stooges, yeah. and they were also generating this this loud, almost proto metal, is what I like to call it, yeah. Alice Cooper. But then yeah, Black Sabbath put down the uh, taloned boot. And uh, from then on, it was uh, all the devil's music. Well, I, I, I think it's fair that we begin with Black Sabbath and, uh, and their most famous bad boy, uh, since all metal begins with the boys from Manchester. Um, to me, it seems like the craziness uh, it, within that particular band is all about Ozzy and less so about Tony, Geezer, and Bill, right? You know, Ozzy was the one who was most out front and outrageous. But, uh, wow, you know, um, they were all off the rails on, uh, not for the first album, actually, the first couple albums, they were pretty straightforward and clean and sober and dedicated. And then, you know, they got on the road and, and uh, they got a taste of cocaine and, <laughs> and they got, uh, you know, all the booze they could, they could possibly uh, hold in a bus or an airplane and just went over the deep end. Um, Ozzy was the most affected by it all. The other guys really weren't far behind. And, and uh, you know, Bill Ward, the drummer, very easily could have died of a heroin overdose. Um, I think that's been well documented. And also he was a heavy drinker. And uh, you know, Tony Iommi in his book talks about just the, the excessive amounts of cocaine. They'd have salad bowls full of cocaine backstage. Um, would have loved to have that kind of stuff in Raising Hell, but I had a lot of it in uh, – in in yeah. um yeah. louder than yeah. you you actually step away from uh some of the bigger stories like, yeah. Uh, yeah uh you know like ozzy and uh, uh pissing on the alamo or uh you know uh the the famous uh uh, uh big uh metal uh you know swedish death metal burning churches and you know right. the, the, you know people eating cannibalism and stuff like that uh it you you, you i i think that is in your previous book uh there so, yeah yeah so, there are two reasons i avoided them because yeah i covered all that stuff extensively in in um louder than hell but also because i've covered it there have been movies about yeah, it yeah there have been artic yeah. magazine articles yeah. about it everybody knows about uh, poor euronymous who was stabbed to death by varg vikernis and <laughs> you know made black yeah. metal a national commodity yeah. at that yeah. point or international yeah. Yeah. um and everybody knows that that uh you know ozzy bit the head off of various creatures yeah. and and you know these are these are tried and true pieces of metal lore yeah. so i kind of steered clear of all that and i wanted to to uh, create or hear from these people about other legends and 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 really expose what their lifestyle and culture was about as they 
as they kind of went through decades of, of, of metal evolution. I didn't want it all to be about excess and debauchery. So, you know, I, I had a lot of it, uh, a lot of chapters also about the touring life and playing shows and the worst accidents someone could possibly have, you know, falling off stage and breaking ribs or bones and other bones. Um, on stage experiences, there's, there's a great, great band, the Dillinger Escape Plan, whose uh, guitarist, Ben Weinman is a, a, a madman on stage. And I, I think he just goes into another zone and just starts smashing into things while he's playing and, you know, diving into amps and, and uh, uh, frequently has exited the stage bloodied and, and on more than a few occasions has, has broken bones. Um, you know, and, and to me, that's, that's the ultimate dedication in your art. Um, it's like Iggy Pop rolling around and, mm -hmm. and, shards mm -hmm. of glass, but almost even to a greater extent. Um, and I thought that kind of stuff was really worth worth uh, uh, talking about. So for the books, I, I, I created this uh, pretty much a wish list of topics I wanted to address. And then I thought, well, each of these topics could be related to a song. So I kind of yeah. did a little research. I didn't have to think too hard. Because girls, 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 hey, there you go. You got a <laughs> song by Motley Crue in a chapter about groupies. Yeah. Um, so, but then I thought, you know, Welcome to Hell is a song by Venom, you know, one of the leaders of the thrash metal movement who are also kind of a pioneer of black metal. Um, sang an awful lot about Satan and the devil and went far and beyond what other bands were doing at the time, even though it was very tongue in cheek and shticky. Well, and, isn't, and, and that's, a, that's, a, that's something I want to explore is that, isn't, isn't it? mostly tongue-in-cheek uh and you know more halloween uh you know black sabbath uh for example you know a lot of, i think they they're the first to kind of get uh, uh hung with the the satanist label and the fact is is they just were big fans of uh english uh hammer horror films right sure sure yeah but they were also interested in the occult and you know um it all comes around uh Alistair Crowley. Yeah, the Alistair Crowley. Yeah, right. yeah, yeah. Um, so, you know, it, there, there's the dabbling that Geezer Butler did in the occult and the lyrics that he wrote about the occult. But then, you know, he wrote uh, he wrote the song Black Sabbath after having this experience where he woke up in the middle of the night and saw an apparition at the foot of his bed. And uh, it clearly wasn't a friendly, a friendly visitor. And he got this uh, this, this feeling that, wow, you know, if you continue dabbling in, in, in this subject matter and going down that road, there will be a price to pay. So I think at that point he took his Aleister Crowley books and, <laughs> and uh, probably gave them to Ozzy. But I think he said he threw them away. <laughs> Sold them to Jimmy them. Page along yeah, with the, uh, exactly. the castle. Right, Jimmy right, Page already right. had the first yeah, yeah, yeah. But, uh, so, so, you know, um, there, were, there were dabblings, but these guys were also – they were Christian and uh, – or at least they – were raised Christian, of course. Yeah. Uh, and, and, you know, C of E and all that. Uh, right. But yeah. And then Sabbath did an awful lot of material about, you know, well, what if and, uh, you know, maybe you should watch what you say because, uh, you know, there's there's punishment on the other end. So they were able to have both ends of the spectrum to, mm -hmm. to, to play with. Mm -hmm. uh, but they also commented about war and they, they had they, they toe dabbled in politics and yeah. Um, 
So, yeah, they were far from. Which was expected at the time, that uh, especially when those guys uh, yeah. started out uh, in there. Hey, do us a favor. You know, this is a general rock and roll uh, interview show here. Uh, and But can you give us a very quick history of metal from your perspective? History of metal. Well, you had Black Sabbath. Yeah, it all starts with them. It created the template. Yeah. Um, Power chords. Maybe the three-headed monster of uh, Sabbath, Deep Purple, and uh, and I know some say Zeppelin, although some don't like putting Zeppelin in the metal category. Right, right. Yeah, I think Zeppelin were a precursor to metal. I don't think they had metallic songs, and certainly some of the subject matter they dealt with, with the fantasy and the uh, druids and whatnot, <laughs> was... The uh, Tolkien-esque writing, yeah. Metallic, yeah, yeah. yeah. Metal yeah. would... would make that part of their repertoire yeah um for me yeah it was it was sabbath uh it, you know you had deep purple and then there were other bands kind of on the cusp vanilla fudge yeah um, they were they, they, they could get loud they could fit into that um but but, but uh, really it's that new wave of british metal that kind of really is the beginnings of true that was the metal, next right? yeah and and blacks uh, i'm not black sabbath um uh judas priest came from that Birmingham region that that uh, Black Sabbath were in, and they they knew the guys, you know, they, they were yeah. they were friendly and yeah. Um, oh, I think they initially got signed to their the same management company. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah, and then and then uh, Priest kind of raised the bar a little bit. Um, they took uh, the types of power chords that that Sabbath was was playing and the the uh, minor key, um, you know, uh, I guess licks or or uh, rhythmic approaches um there's a thing called the devil's tritone yeah, yeah. Which is very well known as, as as something that that sabbath brought to the foray of music um so they took the rules that sabbath had laid down or at least some of the the uh um procedures with which they created their music and uh just up the ante the screams were were louder higher pitched um the vocal parts were you know rob halford is a phenomenal vocalist so he had a multi-octave range and he could wail or he could sing you know perfectly on pitch and in a uh, um, pop-esque spectrum hardly pop music but then you had two guitarists so you didn't just have uh, tony iomi you know riffing around there and, and creating slow doomy sounds you had sped up tempos and uh, you had Glenn Tipton and KK Downing both playing, which which gave them the abilities to create counter melodies and to do uh, twin guitar leads. Uh, have one guy play a lead, then the next guy would, and they do guitar harmonies, much in the vein of yeah, Leonard Wishbone Skinner. Ash, uh, Thin yes. Lizzy, uh, sure, Leonard sure. Skinner, and so on and so forth. Yeah. Um, so so that brought another facet to metal, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and I think they were instrumental. In, in that whole wave and what became the new wave of British heavy metal, which brought us Iron Maiden and Saxon and um, Raven, and, uh, you know, even um, to uh, a certain extent, Def Leppard. They were part of that first wave of the new wave of British heavy metal, although they, after a couple albums, they quickly became much more of a, of a commercial metal entity. But um, with metal, uh, after the new wave of British heavy metal, movement the label started seeing money and uh the band started making a lot more money and uh there were places to go that hadn't hadn't been tried the new wave of british heavy metal was mostly 
an insular scene in, until people outside of England discovered it um, and were enthralled by it. Um, you know, you had yeah, most uh, famously uh, Lars uh, Ulrich and sure, James sure, that Feld was the thrash and, scene. You know, getting into the thrash scene then. But it, even before they had Ronnie James Dio. Who you know was was in uh, Rainbow with Richie yep. Blackmore, and then Black Sabbath after Ozzy left the band, uh, so and then had his own band Dio, and then you had the commercial metal that was coming out of even, LA, uh, the the hair metal stuff and things. The hair metal stuff, yeah. but at the same time, even Europe, you know, you had the Scorpions and Accept came out yep. of Germany, so so there was this globalization of this of this sound, and and then LA took it and brought it into a new level of of uh, visual theatricality um, with uh, that, that they'd gotten from from groups like Kiss and uh, also glam bands like yeah. you know, the Slade and Slade and uh, yeah, the Slade were were heavily uh, uh, loved by Quiet Riot, who, who yep. two of the most famous songs were yep. Slade songs. Yeah. Um, but it was certainly the Sunset Strip and those bands, Motley Crue, Rat, Dokken, um, you know, the list goes on and on. Um, Wasp and and, and th these people played the same kinds of clubs every week and and uh, by that time Van Halen were already huge and they were on the periphery of metal but metallic you know guitar god that Eddie Van Halen was oh big hooks but, big oh, hooks big melodies sure uh, yeah party more party band uh, yeah but that also contributed to the party aesthetic of the of the LA scene yeah and the Sunset Strip scene. And, uh, you know, what other kind of music is really going to come out of uh, that part of, of L.A.? <laughs> so, so you, you know, you, you had this, this upgraded element of debauchery, or at least it was much more in the forefront. And then MTV put the videos on, which had uh, characters like Bobby Brown and Tawny, uh, Tawny, uh, uh, Tawny Katane. Katane, <laughs> the lovely and talented. White snake. <laughs> like now. But, um, yeah, these, these – um, scantily dressed young ladies who uh, were in these videos and it kind of injected that sex uh, aspect into into rock and roll and, and and there's no question these guys were having a field day i mean this was before the age of aids really and um these were girls who were were young and looked at rock stars as icons and you know if they could sleep with these rock stars young and willing right their cap yeah, yeah. so um, needless to say, tons of bands took advantage of these opportunities, and I think a good time was had by all uh, with uh, alcohol and drugs fueling the whole experience. Um, and that's what metal became as a stereotype in the 80s, and stereotypes are very much built on, on reality. But there were some people who didn't really like the sound of a lot of these these 80 bands who more and and more frequently were uh, encouraged both by their labels and and also internally to become more popular and appeal more to the ladies so they did more of these uh, uh rock uh, ballads, the the, the, uh, the power ballads yeah yes mm -hmm. absolutely and the power ballad became the uh the, the signature the signature of every every metal band had to, have, had to have one right? when the uh, when people still used big lighters they were waving in the air and uh that's what brought the girls into the picture really uh, all right hold on let me stop you what do you think is the best power ballad song ever written <laughs> i used to hate them all um god you know although 
they weren't a power ballad band and would have been shamed in the beginning for for the thought that they would ever do one nothing else matters by uh by uh metallica just you know just gets to me it's really a a touching you know a touching song um i liked dokken and i liked rat and i like molly crew but i i didn't i tended to like their heavier material Uh you know uh dokken did um uh alone again that's probably the first power ballad i heard by them that i felt as a as a teenager who who wasn't uh having girls surrounding me the way eddie van halen was you know and feeling uh really kind of uh, alienated uh that's the kind of song i i sat and listened to and thought why don't they like (laughs) (laughs) um and of course that brought out the teenage angst and the rage and made you want to listen to Iron Maiden and Judas Priest and all the fast, angry, uh, aggressive stuff, yeah. Um, yeah. which brought in punk and punk, you know, fueled a faster and heavier kind of metal. And uh, I think Motorhead can be widely credited with, uh, with opening some of those doors. Yeah. 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 They even opened doors for punk bands and certainly yeah. hardcore. Yeah. But um, Lars Ulrich loved Motorhead. And uh, he loved a lot of the bands that came out of uh, out of the British scene, um, and I think a lot of people at the time were ready for a change from from this hair metal, from these power ballads, and uh, wanted to have faster music in the vein of of uh, hardcore bands or, or 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 you know punk bands like GBH, but with the musicality of someone like Judas Priest. So uh, that's where I think. All at once, there was a movement where you had uh, in L.A. Slayer was making music, uh, just kind of starting out. New York Anthrax were just starting out, and then of course on the West Coast, which is where the big uh, Kahuna's were. Um, although L.A. is the West Coast, but San Francisco was the breeding grounds yeah. for uh, Metallica, Metallica uh, yeah. Exodus, and <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Testament, and uh, you know, so many other other great bands that. Uh, First, the doors open, really. Mm-hmm. Um, so then we, we we go from thrash, and and we'll, like I said, I don't want to go too deep in each of those. Right. Uh, but now, now, now it begins to fragment a little bit, and you have like various black metals and death metals and Swedish death metal. And God, if you don't get the names right, uh, you're going to get cards <laughs> and letters uh, of hatred from uh, from fans, right? Absolutely. I, I think thrash was the last. Real kind of unifying piece of like, oh, this is the next step for yeah, metal. this is the next, next yeah, wave. Yeah, yeah. But then these guys wearing sweatpants and you know dirty shirts and who weren't uh, doing blow or scoring chicks and were watching horror movies all the time created this music death metal. Yeah. Um, there are a couple of main figures from that. Chuck Schuldiner from the band Death was a yeah. big, big part of that. And this um, is where we're singing the you know traditional rock and roll form begins to shift quite dramatically as well. Yeah, right? yeah. I mean, you know, Slayer growled mm. and uh, possessed. We're right on the cusp of death metal. Some argue that their album, first album, was death metal. Uh, but yeah, this is where the Cookie Cookie Monster growling came in. Mm. And uh, these bands didn't even try to sing, and some of them weren't even uh, um, uttering words in their in their screeches and growls and uh, you know horrifically uh, uh, agonized vocals. E- even more primal than uh, yeah, what had come before like it. Yeah, 
gargling with 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 broken glass um and and with that came faster drum beats and uh more aggressive guitars wilder solos and of course you have heroes from kind of each each movement but uh, from there the, the idea was what can you do how how much faster can you get you know in england you had grindcore which was a little more hardcore mixed with death metal but it was still death metal and you know napalm death and carcass and those bands uh had a major part to do with what what happened in in uh, in, in the scene over in uh, uh um, i'm not sure was, i can't remember the exact location but it spread throughout england um and then for me the first bands that really, really took it over the edge and said, we're not just going to sing about it. We're going to live it. <laughs> we're going to live it for better or worse, in most cases worse, with these guys from the black metal scene that uh, came out of mostly, uh, to start with, it was uh, you know, um, Oslo and, and, yeah. uh, and Bergen and, and different parts of, of Norway. Um, and... Uh, they were motivated. Well, it gets really by, cold up there in the yeah. wintertime. What else are you going to do? <laughs> they were motivated by death metal, but and satanic metal of you know the, the, their Viking forebearers, bands like Bathory and uh, you know um, even Manowar had some of that content. But but they wanted to really lay down the gauntlet and uh, say you know we are anti-christian yeah. we are are this is not fantasy this is not an act everything. this is not uh, like what we started with with uh, black sabbath which was you know putting on halloween every show this right. is actually no i uh, this is my creed and these guys were young you know they were teenagers who wanted to make a statement and it started out with some of them going out and burning down you know really famous uh, um historical churches in in norway yeah um in in bergen and 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 other other cities and and it was you know it was horrible and 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 a couple of guys who were at the forefront of it stupidly um paraded what they had done and done did interviews with with uh local newspapers and and didn't uh shy away from their actions so they were quickly arrested <laughs> um but it created this lack of for lack of a better word a firestorm of of interest in this outrageousness you know oh, no one of course yeah, of course. yeah. and, and uh, unfortunately violence also accompanied the uh the outrageousness and and it got pretty ugly with even cannibalism <laughs> well, there's debate whether uh, the, the the singer of Mayhem who committed suicide with a shotgun was actually had bits of his brain turned into a stew by another <laughs> member, Hellhammer. I mean, it's all so outrageous that it's God. I don't want to say comical, but absurd. Certainly absurd. And that's of course not in Raising Hell. All of that is addressed yeah, in detail. In, yeah, in, louder than hell. Like Lords of Chaos yeah. and certainly louder than hell. Yeah. Um, but I think it was a big wake-up call to, holy crap, you know, we thought we were extreme. Uh -huh. um, and, and then, you know, people started just kind of mixing all kinds of hybrids of music, punk. You, not everybody wanted to burn churches. I'd say that was a very small 
segment. It's not anything that gets globally. <laughs> I don't. Um, yeah. Uh, oh, although oh, I don't know. Uh, yeah, there's and, even state-sanctioned uh, uh, terrorism <laughs> that burns uh, churches or or what have you. So yeah, were, you never know. Murders committed by an Italian cult uh, that were in a metal band, and they you know they claimed that it was for the sake of metal and Satan, and it's it's horrible stuff. But uh, I think more people came out of alternative and punk scenes and wanted to create different kinds of music. So you did get all these really yeah. uh, interesting hybrids, hardcore mixed with uh, yeah. a kind of Judas Priest style metal, um, you know, death metal mixed with uh, a, a, a industrial music and, and certainly thrash mixed with electronic industrial music in a big way, which is how you got ministry and nine inch nails. And, and, and from there, you know, the skies opened up and everybody tried everything and uh, doom came back. You had bands that came back wanting to sound like black Sabbath again. And there were so many different permutations of the sound. Uh, but a lot of this was happening during a time where metal was on the outs because, uh, you know, grunge and alternative came in and right away, um, old metal you know the, the the standard stuff that hollywood bands were doing became obsolete well they, the, the disaffected youth gravitated to a different form of music i mean sure. that, that's you know let's face it uh, suburban white kids and mostly white kids uh you know uh you know had gravitated to uh metal uh in in the previous decades and now this grunge thing kind of gave them a, a an alternative path and music always goes in cycles for sure, but yeah. but metal has a, a following that other kinds of music just doesn't. Um, you know, if you discover Slayer as a teenager, you're probably still going to love them when you're 50. Yeah. And you may introduce your kids to them, <laughs> very well laugh at you and turn on their EDM. But, you know, it does it does happen. There's this just this diehard dedication attachment people develop with bands. And I think that happened earlier in rock and roll for sure absolutely there were you know, diehards with with you know the, the who and zeppelin and aerosmith and of course the grateful dead and all different genres and and types but then you know with metal there was a new dedication where there wasn't a dedication in pop music and new wave music and even even punk i think people listen to a lot of these punk bands that broke up after three or four albums and then well they couldn't follow them anymore so maybe they'd follow another punk band or maybe they'd move on to something else entirely. But metal's always had that really diehard following. And it's, it's an interesting phenomenon. It is. Uh, yeah, you, you cannot find a more rabid uh, base of fans than in the metal world, uh, musically, uh, that is. And uh, it's always an interesting question of uh, exploration of, of why, uh, you know, why that is. And, you know, uh, I, I, I think, um, you know, my, uh, my, my theory, if I can expand just a little bit, is, is you know, the, 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 the music itself is based on electric guitar, which was invented in the 20th century, a very industrial age and a very industrial sound. And, and metal kind of really takes that to the, its furthest extent in a world of, of an industrial world of which, you know, these kids live in. And, uh, you know, it's now played back to them, you know, in this sometimes constraining modern world 
uh, an ability for them to act out their aggressions without actually committing crime. Uh, we'll leave that to the bands and uh, you know the Swedish death metal guys and things like that. But you know, most of these kids, you know, they're 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 they're, they're this is an outlet. And the music gives them that uh, that outlet of the world that is surrounding them that they were born into. Yeah, sure. And, and, and you know, there's there's a saying that, uh, you know, uh, hard times uh, bring out a uh, equally hard and and visceral form of art. And yeah. certainly when you had the Reagan Thatcher years. <laughs> There were an awful lot of bands coming out that were very pissed off. And then uh, even in the 90s, when uh, people got out of school, they, they, they never thought they'd reach the level of success that their, that their parents had gotten. And there was a real sense of disaffection across uh, uh, young adults. And I think that's where the, the, the you know, hate myself, want to die grunge music and it came from. And a lot of the alternative rock, which, which really focused on aggression and angst. Yeah. Uh, when you're not in an angsty, aggressive times, uh, mainstream music tends to to go into a more, um, I guess, upbeat and uh, positive direction. But then you always have disaffected youth, you know, kids who are from divorced families or had hard upbringings or you know just have something to rail against. Um, maybe they just aren't. Uh, you know, content with the way the rest of society works and are anti-capitalist or, or whatever. But there's always those angry people, those people who, who have this this energy and this this uh, inner frustration that, that, that this music just kind of, it's a purge for them. They, they go into a show and mosh around the pit and, and it's just, you know, a week of stress and, and uh Washes away. Yeah. 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 In the wash pit. Right. You know, I, uh, I think we'd both agree that, uh, you know, it's a, it's, it's, it is a wonderful outlet and thank God that, uh, most of those kids, uh, can go, uh, and get, uh, that, uh, release uh, as opposed to, you know, those, uh, horrible, uh, people who go grab an AR-15 and, you know, shoot up a mall or something like that. So, so God bless Mel. they, They blame, uh, they blame uh, aggressive and violent behavior on on the music, on the music itself. Games. Yeah, yeah, well, you know, <laughs> yeah. Not to bring Judas Priest back in, which I'm sure well, you you talked about it in the last book. That's in uh, hell. <laughs> that's uh, you know that that is a big moment in rock and roll of uh, which is complete and utter bullshit. Uh, but um, uh, but yeah. So you know the book is filled with mostly short interviews of of famous and some household names and many not of the craziness found on the road and in hotels and sometimes even at home. I, I do like that the, the, the book, it's, it's not really a narrative, but more of a fun piece to have around and pick up and open at any page and get a story that'll thrill or caution you. Was, was that the intent? Exactly. Yeah. My, my uh, agent refers to it as a bathroom book. And then he says, <laughs> some of my favorite books are bathroom books. Me I too. I, I, I totally get it. Yeah. 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 So really, yeah, it's not, a narrative historical document meant to be read from beginning to end. It's not meant to challenge your mind, especially, although I think there are a few object lessons that, that do come across, but really it's supposed to be fun. And I wanted these stories to be entertaining, exciting, to make you laugh, to make you, you know, shudder, to possibly make you feel revulsion or, uh, or, 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 feel heartbroken in the yeah, case sympathy. of sympathy yeah of, uh, yeah of so, some some people who were in really adversary situations um because it's a it's an extreme lifestyle and and uh it it comes with 
with those uh, those ups and downs. And you guys are driving around in vans on ice covered roads, and uh, you know a lot of them have been in terrible accidents. And the dedication to keep doing it is astounding. Yeah, you 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 have to be committed uh, to uh, to 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 survive and 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 make it. And uh, as we've already determined, you know, metal is not necessarily known as uh, you know the pathway to uh, uh, you know popularity and 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 millions and a comfortable lifestyle. Uh, you know, uh, most of these guys are in beat up vans. Uh, you know, staying in Motel Sixes from from night to night. Uh, you know, for an opportunity to get on stage for about an hour right right exactly because it, it's it's their passion it's their release if they didn't do it some of them say they they go crazy or kill themselves um and the interesting thing is even those those guys the guys who are barely making enough money to get to the next gig um you know using their gas money and eating fast food a lot of them are still living these rock and roll crazy experiences, trashing hotels and then realizing or knowing they're going to have to pay for it. But just well, living well, they, they, they have to stay on stage. They don't get to be in the mosh pit. So uh, they got to get their release uh, after the show. Right. <laughs> right. But I also really wanted the book to be, uh, you know, a love letter to 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 meddle into these guys. And yeah. And on that note, like there's a chapter that that was Spinal Tap and, and it's a tribute to one of my favorite films. Um, I had always doing interviews through the years said, so what's your favorite Spinal Tap story? Like, what have you guys experienced that could have been in Spinal Tap? And eight out of 10 times you'll hear, oh yeah, we got lost under a stage one. (laughs) Um, But, you know, sometimes you get those nuggets of gold. Mm -hmm. So I thought, what if I did a chapter about this? Let's see if we can get enough, enough really good material. That's my favorite chapter of the book. It's just yeah, you know, chap- chapter from- eleven, uh, Spinal Tap. Uh, oh, it had to yeah, be chapter yeah, eleven, yeah. right? Because <laughs> it goes to eleven, right? Right. right, right, right. But David Draymond from from you know Disturbed, huge rock star, standing on the top of a uh, a giant elevator, it's descending to the uh, to the stage, and it just gets stuck. Yeah, <laughs> he can't move, and he can't get out. He's not going to jump. Uh, he's he's stuck in the pod. There's nothing more Spinal Tap or, right. or you know, even um, Motley Crue's drummer Tommy Lee talked to me about being stuck in the uh, the revolving the, drum kit. Well, it was it was actually more like a uh, roller coaster drum kit that would kind of wind its way all the way around the stage. And it was upside down when he got stuck. <laughs> and it was one of their their final shows that they were filming for a DVD. Um, so, it's you know, it's just funny. You can't make this, this stuff up. Um no. A D. Snyder no. from Twisted Sister had great Spinal Tap stories, but yeah. hopefully people will read them in the book and and uh, you know, enjoy them for themselves. All right, all right. A- as we've said now here, each chapter is named after a metal song that uh, kind of indicates the troubles ahead, right? Right. Yeah. So the first, I think you start off with kind of like crime, uh, and uh, and just you know, you ask the question from these guys of you know what kind of. Uh, actual uh trouble with the authorities you've gotten into what what was your your favorite story from that chapter boy you know i didn't expect this and uh i i was really pleased that that they talked about it because uh you get a band like judas priest who are rock gods you know and not knowing their whole history you might not realize their past. And these guys said they would steal anything that wasn't bolted down. They were starving. Their label wasn't paying them. Half the gigs they played in the early days, and this was really before metal became metal. 
So they were just struggling to uh, to get by, and uh, they stole a light from every different show that they could they played and and built it into a light rig rig for themselves. <laughs> very uh, by, by individual lights, okay. It was a smart move. Yeah, uh, less term planning. <laughs> yeah, a less intelligent move, perhaps, was uh, going into the uh, I guess kitchen area and taking a huge bag of uncooked shrimp. So they ate raw shrimp Ugh. after a, a, a show is uh, you know to because they didn't have food and yeah that's probably not the wisest idea. Very well, I don't think that's in the vomit chapter. Well, I was gonna say <laughs> that that gets us to the next few chapters, which is drunks. Worse drugs and then the inevitable vomiting. So I, I so you're 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 saying that the shrimp uh, theft did not make it into the inevitable vomiting uh, chapter. Well, to be honest, maybe I I, I didn't do my my uh, fully evolved interview, but they didn't tell me they threw up. So the 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 punchline was yeah, we even had raw shrimp and ate that. You know. There were other vomiting stories, certainly later from other occurrences, and you know, with a lot of bands, that comes from heavy drinking. Oh, the drink, the the, the the two chapters before it, drunks right, and the worst right. drugs. So, uh, yeah, yeah. So I, I I thought, and that's a question I've asked throughout time because I've uh, always been perverse that way. I was like, so you know, you guys drink a ton. What's your best puke story? And the brave ones will say, oh, we don't puke, or <laughs> you know, right, we we can hold our liquor. But yeah, then you get yeah. people who are like, oh, yeah, you know, I partied with Dimebag Daryl from Pantera. Boy, was that a mistake. Right, <laughs> right, right, right. Or I threw up on this guy while I was, uh, you know, on their bus. Or uh, So, you know, I didn't just want to, oh, I drank too much and I puked. That's not a story. To me, with every chapter and with every story, I really wanted something that had kind of a buildup and a climax, um, right. which you know, is the groupies chapter, too. But uh, but I'm pumped. So, well, that well, let's get to it. So I mean, uh, uh, look, I asked you about the crime thing. That was a great one. So what was your, what's your favorite story out of the groupies chapter? Favorite or or most disgusting? Oh, <laughs> author's <laughs> choice, my friend. <laughs> well, I I may have mentioned this fellow named King Fowley from the band Deceased. Yes, he was in a thrash metal band, and I was just dumbfounded by how open he was about uh, the twosomes, threesomes, foursomes, and moresomes that he engaged in, and how graphic, uh, the graphic detail he went into. Um, There was one groupie who wanted to be with him, but he wasn't so into it. So, you know, he said, well, you know, I'll only be with you if you have sex with a chicken. And uh, it wasn't a live chicken, but there was some, some... Memories uh, of the messiness, messiness that in, that ensued that perhaps is this era's uh, version of of Led Zeppelin's Mud Shark story. Yes, right, 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 right. Okay, moving on. <laughs> so, <laughs> you asked, <laughs> and you choose. You chose. That's <laughs> so, true. Uh, there are uh, also mother daughter stories in there, which are pretty. Uh, that was a thing apparently for a while, um, and and uh, the mothers and daughters were both into it. But uh, Al Jurgensen from Ministry has a particularly funny one. Yeah, well, I, I think that's a thing on porn in general. But uh, sure, uh, I'm sure that happened in 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 in, uh, in, in the heavy metal world. So, uh, so we go from from the wonderful world of sex to uh, actual Satanists. 
And and so it, it, my my question might be, you know, how how much of this is really true? And I and I think we've already kind of established it in that that at the very beginning this was all a put on. And and there may have been some dabbling and some interest in you know all of us uh, you know in, in our youth uh, you know are interested in anything certainly anything that'll piss our parents off and uh, you know uh, 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 delving into the occult would would probably do that for 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 most of uh, the mid twentieth century parents. Yeah, um, I had a copy of the Satanic Bible on my shelf. <laughs> yeah, and I'm sure your parents were just happy about that uh, you know they didn't care which was i uh, god bless my parents they were the best they they uh saw that i was uh not an insane individual and that i was getting good grades and that i had peculiar interests but clearly i wasn't engaging in uh in in occult activities so i think they saw it and they said hmm, okay well you know it's next to the stephen king books and the clive barker books so perhaps it's just a uh <laughs> in a yeah, thing. It, it, it's a it's a reference manual for those other books uh, <laughs> so uh but yeah there are you know as things uh progress uh you get people as we we just discussed that uh actually try to you know imbibe that as a real thing right and beyond the norwegian bands now there are really are some some musicians that that find uh uh, devil worship to be a big part of their their aesthetic and 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 their message, and in some cases it's more of an atheistic approach to devil worship. Whereas uh, instead of believing in this you know horned beast who lives in the in the in the underworld, it's more about uh, the the idea. I guess it's a, the Crowley uh, uh, you know. Um, system where it's do what thou wilt shall be the whole of the law. And uh, so these guys don't believe in following conventional rules or standards. And it's all about hedonism and, and kind of building yourself up to be the greatest uh, beast that you can. Oh, uh, a political libertarians. <laughs> something like that. And I may have some of it wrong because that's, that's not my vantage point. But I do find it interesting that, that, that some of these satanic people satanic people, some people who consider themselves Satanists, um, are fairly bright. And some of them are extremely articulate. There's a guy named uh, Nurgle from the band uh, Behemoth. He's in there, and uh, he's become a, a, a cultural figure in Poland. He's, he's, he's a, uh, you know, a pop culture figure. He, he married a, a famous pop star, but he still got all these uh, these satanic uh, uh, beliefs, or at least sincere interests, um, that that he continues to uh, make albums about. And then there's a band called Watain, who take it even a step further. And uh, again, uh, Daniel Erickson from the band, very articulate, and he can tell you exactly why uh, following the path of Satanism is uh, the, the the way to. Uh, achieve salvation, but that you make your choices and you and you live with the consequences. So he says lots of horrible things have happened to him, and he knows that that's part of uh, the lifestyle that he has chosen. But to to express himself, and this is a warning to anyone who's thinking of going to a Watain show, although they make pretty incredible music, they bring animal carcasses to that's their right. shows yeah. and put them on really, display. sort of an yeah. altar in the middle of the stage. Mm -hmm. And there was a time where they would actually splash 
large uh, uh, volumes of blood into the into the crowd. Mm-hmm. Uh, there was a t- I got on TMZ for doing that, believe it or not, which is totally absurd. Um, they've since stopped doing that in most venues, but uh, if you're into that kind of well, thing, there may be love- a ticket sale problem if they don't, because I think <laughs> <laughs> I think the venues themselves would. Uh, yeah, we're not going down that road, guys. Yeah. Uh, uh, we There's don't have we don't blood. have a permit for that. Okay. Yeah, and this was genuine pig's blood, yeah. and it reeked. And uh, I went to a show of theirs once, and I had to leave early because I stood in the back. I'm like, if I stand in the back, it won't smell as bad. There's no way I'll get hit with blood. I was like, wow, I'm feeling really nauseous now by the fifth song. And, you know, I think I'm gonna go get some ice cream. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I I don't know how much. It's real Satanism, but it certainly is performance art. Uh, uh, since you mentioned uh, pig's blood, I mean, the next chapters are bleeding and then near-death experiences. So uh, what I might ask is, what, what, do, what do you think is like the, the most like visceral, true near-death experience story you got? Hmm. Near-death experiences. Boy, you know, there's... There's a lot of them, and a lot of them actually happened um, from vehicle accidents, which uh, I, initially the the die with your boots on chapter, which is really about brushes with death that aren't, yeah. you know, it's falling off stage and breaking bones or uh, almost being hit by an oncoming car or, or you know, any, any number of things that could have ended up in someone being killed. It really, although, yeah, here you go. The guy from Possessed was shot. That's that's going to do it. Um, Jeff Becerra from the band Possessed was very dedicated into uh, to his 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 thrash metal music, but was also selling drugs and was kind of a thug and hanging out with some unsavory folks. So uh, at one point he was in a uh, a, a drugstore kiosk and uh, he had a gun pulled on him and he was shot and he, he staggered out into the parking lot and tried to get away. And these guys, there was a guy on the left and a guy on the right, both had 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 guns up to him. And, you know, he figured this is a hit. I'm, I'm definitely, I'm going to be killed. And uh, he was, he, he managed to, uh, I think he charged a guy and wrestled the gun away. Another guy did shoot him, but it, he, he held his hand up and the bullet knocked off half of a finger. Um, but he was probably bleeding to death, lying on the ground, holding his insides in when uh, he, he, there was a, a a girl there who who or maybe it was a a young kid I, I or a male kid I don't recall exactly but he was able to get help and they saved his life and now he's in a wheelchair and, and you know he's a a, a quadriplegic but uh, he still performs he performs from the stage and you know he may he may not be a quadriplegic because I think he has use of his upper body oh so still paraplegic yeah. Yeah, but pretty hard. Oh, huge. Yeah, um, yeah. That's a that's a life-changing experience any way you look at it. And then, you know, maybe the greatest revelation in this book was was the band Limp Bizkit. Their bassist, Sam Rivers, hasn't been with the band or hadn't been with the band for years because yeah, he had— For about terrible... three years, 2015 to 2018, uh, because yeah. he said he had back problems, but that's not actually the problems. real story. Well, he did have back problems, but he was also a problem drinker for years and, and, and way above and beyond. Well, when drink- you have a bad liver, it's in your back. Right. Well, that's true. That's true. But he also had problems with the bones and the joints. And because, you know, these guys are jumping around on stage and smashing into things. And yeah. a lot of a lot of people have done 
uh, almost irrevocable damage to their to their spines and necks. Mm. You know, guys from Slayer and Megadeth they all had surgery from that, and and uh, uh, Phil, Phil Anselmo from from uh, Pantera started taking heroin. He said because his back pain was was so horrible, and nothing else would stop it. Oh, we've uh, lost a couple of people, uh, maybe not meddlers, but, you know, Prince and Tom Petty, uh, you know, died yes. due to fentanyl overdose to treat. They were trying to treat their own uh, stage related uh, uh, injuries. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. It's but back to, back to Sam Rivers. I mean, that, right. that's, so, a, that's a big moment uh, in, in, in the book uh, because, you know, the official uh, excuse was not what the real issue was no he had liver disease and a liver and, transplant yeah yeah it had gotten so bad that he needed a transplant and he had never talked about this you know the interview with me he's like man i've never i haven't ever told anyone this but and then he goes on and tells me this very detailed story about uh how he almost died in the hospital and how the first liver transplant didn't take and uh, they ended up having to do a, a second one. Oh, he, I didn't know there was a second. It wow. was on death's door. Um, I, I think they came up with a match. They didn't do the full transplant, but mm -hmm. it didn't. It didn't match. They thought mm -hmm. it did. Mm -hmm. So then they had a, they had a liver, and he wasn't the top on the list. So he thought, "That's it. I'm not. I'm not going to survive not, you this." Get it. You get it in Apparently, time, right? If you're in such dire condition, uh, this is what he said: that uh, that that they will take a a, uh, a liver that they have and, and use it on the worst patient in the hospital, like somebody who was on death's door. Um, it's contrary to what I'd heard prior about transplants. Mm -hmm. I thought it was a pecking system. But in any case, he got this liver and, and recovered. But he said he'd never told the story to anybody else. So six months ago when I did the interview, I'm really blown away that he's, he's thought of me to you know, tell this exclusive to. But I'm thinking, wow, man, this book is coming out in six months. Just no way. No way he's not going to tell the story to someone else or someone else will tell the story to someone else. But no, it was it was a secret until yesterday. Until, until this week. Yeah. It's, yeah. Uh, it's a big news item in the metal world. Uh, yeah. Uh, I, I, I picked it up doing my research. It was like, wow, that's that's a big deal. So. All right. So is it is it. Uh, 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 oh, and let me let me go back because I, I do want to give uh, the audience a, a little taste of of each of these these uh, uh, chapters. Um, uh, I won't spend too much time on stealing because we we already kind of talked about a good uh, story there with the the crime uh, at the beginning, but and we talked about the spinal tap situation. Uh, uh, but you, then 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 you, you you talk about the road a little bit with driving and thrashing hotels. Uh, you got a favorite story out of that? Um, the trashing hotels, you know, it, it, it might be the, uh, machine head bus, which was, was completely demolished. Um, which was a foolish thing to do because the guys were at a hotel, <laughs> but instead of trashing the hotel, they figured, well, we'll trash the bus. And uh, this story came from the drummer, uh, a fill-in drummer for the band who's actually now in the band Death Angel. Um, and, uh, he said they're, they're sitting there, the guy's name is Will Carroll, uh, he said they're, they're sitting there and uh, they just start this food fight on the bus and it escalates into shaking up uh, cans of soda and opening them and spraying them all over the place. And it got into the wiring and it got all over the place. And, and plus they were, you know, taking objects and, and causing physical damage instead of just liquid related damage. So this bus is dripping stuff. And then when, by the time they get off of it and then 
And they're like, oh, oh, this is this is I better get back to the room and go to sleep. No one will know what happened. So uh, inevitably, tour management or not tour manager, I guess it was tour management and management finds out, calls a bus company, bus company's livid, takes the bus away from them. So they're like, you guys, you've lost your bus. Now what the hell are you going to do? And you should be ashamed of yourself. This is not, you know, acceptable behavior. And uh, the drummer and the guitar, uh, guitarist, vocalist, the front man, kind of look at each other and snicker. And they're like, this isn't funny. This isn't something to laugh about. You've lost your bus. And the singer said, we'll get another. And sure enough, this is the lead band on the tour, you know, on the tour. This is the headline band. They're not going to cancel the whole tour just because they trashed their bus. Right. You know, make them take Greyhound. So <laughs> they got another bus. Here's your bus. <laughs> yeah. Greyhound. All right. So a couple hours later, another bus pulls up. They get on it, move all their stuff, and the tour continues. And uh, I thought that was pretty, pretty hysterical. Uh, there also are great stories about actual uh, destruction within hotels, and a funny tale about a band who couldn't afford a whole lot, and they jump from bed to bed, just goofing around and end up smashing a bed to bits. And they had been staying in this hotel for, I think, a week straight or so because uh, they, they had um, some time before the next show. Mm -hmm. So this guy's trying to put the bed back together, trying to fix it, and it's shattered. So then he figures, hmm, I'm going to go to the front desk and tell them, you know what? I'm not comfortable in my room. My bed's not really comfortable. Can you change my room? <laughs> he tries that. And the uh, guy at the front of the desk's like, you can't have another room. I already know what happened in your room. You destroyed your bed. That's yeah, what you we're not going to let it. you destroy another one. Yeah. <laughs> what do you think? We're idiots? Uh, well, right. really, yeah. That's just, uh, you know, yeah. that's more than a, yeah. yeah, we went into our hotel and trashed it story. That's something yeah. with a beginning, a middle, and an end, yeah. and a punchline. All right. Favorite practical joke, because that, that was my favorite chapter. Um, the practical jokes or the spinal tap? Practical jokes. Practical jokes. Um. Man, there's so many funny ones. Uh, it's it's got to be something from Dimebag Daryl because he was the king of the pranks. Um, you know, although you know what, I'll 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 go with uh, I'll go with Morbid Angel just because they were such a dedicated, fierce death metal band, and they arguably did have their moments where they had their their uh, dedication to Satan and Satanism and the guitarist would cut his arm and bleed on stage and they'd drink blood out of a chalice. And, you know, these are all the, the legends, but I think a lot of it was true. Maybe I'm completely gullible, but so anyway, these guys are on stage. The singer had previously been in catering and was very upset that the chicken was not fully cooked. It's like, ah, why this chicken's half raw? I'm not going to freaking eat this, isn't it? really threw a fit and then uh, ended up finishing his food. So the uh, support band thought it would be really, really funny if during the show they got a chicken and tied it up into the rafters and slowly <laughs> lowered it down till it was right above the singer's head. So he's growling and, and, and playing his bass and, and being, you know, this ferocious demonic figure. And he notices people in the audience are cracking up. Right, His right. bandmates are laughing their ass off. He's like, what is going on? <laughs> <laughs> Turns out it was a, a descending chicken. Um, and that's something that requires planning. So yeah. I thought that was that's, that was that's a that's a good one. That's a good one. But, uh, that's a good one. Because yeah. everybody knows Dimebag Daryl from Pantera was a was a pranker yeah. and sad and, loss. And, yes, yeah, yes. Yeah, and and yeah. 
used to uh, goof around with his friends and and pulled all kinds of pranks and they're all over the book too uh yeah yeah yeah. All right. So uh, you kind of finish up with like uh, uh, fighting and Nazis and bad crowds. Uh, <laughs> you know, th th those all kind of go together, I think. Yeah. Um, well, there's a lot of violence uh, that, that occurs in the world of metal. And and, and certainly there have been rivalries. And, uh, you know, one of my favorite stories from that chapter is, is a little comical, in, even though it involves Nazis and Awful things and fighting, oh my! Well, the best Nazis um, are comical. <laughs> well, I, I guess some people could see it that way. Oh, look to the uh, look to the Blues Brothers and uh, the right. original uh, 1968 uh, Mel Brooks, the producers. I was going to say they're the best Mel Nazis. Brooks any Mel Brooks movie, <laughs> yeah. but um, so you have uh, Biohazard, uh, a, a real died in the wool metal hardcore band from the New York scene. Tough guys, you know these guys don't don't uh, uh, dodge away from a fight and uh, had been in many fights. And there was, you know, a lot of fighting at their shows and in other chapters, I think they talk about some of the bloodletting in the pit that happened uh, when they were on stage and someone put razor blades between their fingers and, and slashed up other guys in the crowd, really awful stuff. But during this particular incident, the guys are on stage and just, just, Guy in the crowd starts sig heiling him and sig heiling him. What the hell? This is, you know, two of them are Jewish. And um, I, I think someone else from the band um, might have been Hispanic. I, I might might be forgetting that there, but definitely two of the two of the members. I know Billy Grazia Day is Italian. So um, although the Italians and the Germans had a little kinship. There, there, was, some, there was some fascism going on there. <laughs> <laughs> But not in the New York modern day uh, Italian scene. So um, anyway, the uh, they're, they're yelling at this guy. And, and after the show, this guy comes back. He's like, hey, he wants to talk to you. And you're like, you fucking kidding me? This, this You know, this this guy is zig heiling during the stage, wants to talk to us. You're like, okay, you know, send him up. And they're thinking that, you know. Yeah, he, he's going to ask them to join the uh, the, local, the local Nazi party uh, we'll beat chapter. the crap out of him. Yeah. And he oh. comes in and he goes, hey, guys, man, I, I really like you. I just – I really want you to know, you know, it's not – it's not uh, you guys I have a problem with. It's the Jews. And they're like, well, you know, two guys in our bands are Jewish. He's like, well, you know, I had a really hard upbringing and my parents were anti-Semitic and, you know, so – so that's where that comes from. But it's really it's really blacks that I have a problem with. The blacks are the people. <laughs> and uh, it's, it just kind of this, this guy digs himself into a deeper and deeper hole. And finally, the uh, band members realize that they're just dealing with a chump. They say, you know, you could think for yourself. You don't have to follow what other people push your way. And and you could have your own belief system that's not built on, on a, a foundation of hatred. And if you like our band, you'll see that what we do is uh, really uh, uh, promote um, self-empowerment and, and positivity and, yeah. uh, you know, energy release, um, being able to purge those horrible experiences by uh, making music. And you, you just hate is not the way to go. And uh, the guy went on his merry way and, and, you know, sheer disaster was averted. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, uh, so it, it, 
Is it harder living a life in the underground, barely able to survive, or at the top of the game with all the pressure? Because, uh, you know, the book is filled with both perspectives. And I, I think that's a good question to ask you now that you, you, you've, you know, uh, have accumulated all of this knowledge. That is a good question. But I think what it comes down to is economics. If you're on the top of the food chain, you're doing well, you've already made money. Theoretically, you put some of it in the bank and you don't have six divorces and alimony that you have to pay to everyone and you've lived wisely to a certain extent. Um, you could always back out. If it's too much, if there's too much pressure, you can always say, all right, that's it. I've, you know, I'm going to do something else. I'm going to go get a, a job at Fox News or. Uh, <laughs> Whoa. <laughs> I don't know. Where that I'm not came. sure if I've seen any metalheads. Maybe Kid here. Rock, but come on. He's not yeah. really metal. Yeah, yeah, right. Oh, I'll go to CNN. <laughs> but, um, you know, I, I think there are options when you're when you're on top and when you're rich and and some of these guys push themselves too far they take on movie deals and they take on book deals and they they do uh any number of things and 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 it's amazing the way you know some of these people can can multitask like that mm. certainly it's stressful but some of these guys are so motivated that they pull it off and clearly they're workaholics but uh uh to a certain extent some of them take their addictive tendencies and funnel them into the art of creation. So they're no longer taking drugs or having those compulsions. Um, if you're on the bottom of the food chain, if you're a struggling metal band and uh, you're really doing it for the love of what you do, you probably have a part-time job. Um, you know, Maybe you're having trouble paying your mortgage. Uh, maybe the, uh, you're kid crashed the car and and now you can't afford to have it fixed. I mean, there are all kinds of problems that come with the lack of finances. Mm -hmm. And uh, I think- Do that you think that, that makes you crazier? Do you think that, you know, pushes you further to the brink and, and uh, trashing more hotels, uh, drinking more heavy drug use? Uh, uh, I, I, I don't know if I see much of a difference between- Not uh, necessarily. Uh, you know? But it gives you fewer options. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, you're, you yeah. have. Yeah. You can't. You can't just check yourself into the Betty Ford Clinic uh, at a moment's notice, uh, like uh, the top tier bands would, uh, right. would be able to. Yeah. Right. Right. Yeah. yeah. Maybe uh, you know you could get help to to quit drinking or taking drugs if you're even doing that. But you know you're you're going town to town uh, every night out of the love and and sheer passion for what you're doing you know it's it's uh it's a compulsion it's it's like an addiction to to be in a in a band a lot of guys have have told me and um like i said a lot of them have to go back home to part-time jobs and uh and and supporting the family as well so if you don't have the money coming in i think uh you know uh, there's a saying mo money mo problems but i think you ask those who don't have money and, and they wouldn't agree with you Okay, so you know, I, I had the pleasure of interviewing KK Downing on his memoir a couple of months ago, where he breaks down the band uh, and, of course, his departure and all the animosity. So, two questions, um, which kind of falls a little bit on the question I just asked, which is: first, isn't it best to find a hobby while on the road, like Glenn Tipton and KK did with golf? <laughs> yeah, it's always <laughs> it's always a uh, good idea to find an alternative to. Uh, 
indulgences. And 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 I think I mentioned Matt Hafey from uh, Trivium earlier. Maybe maybe I didn't. No, but no, um, no. okay. Well, he he was a fellow and is a fellow um, who's in a thrash band, and they agreed. They, they they developed a certain amount of success. They're still signed and making records. And in, in his early years, he he uh, as a teenager was was uh, caught up in the craze of uh, doing blow and drinking too much, and then. He said he just couldn't sing, he couldn't perform, and he realized, you know, this is my career, this is this is what I love. I can't half-ass it. I'm not going to go up there and and not be my best. And if I want to be my best, I'm going to have to be sober and and clean. And and uh, so he developed interest in other things. And and now he's a huge foodie. So wherever he goes, he tries to find a restaurant that's going to. Uh, uh, entice him or, or, uh, you know, uh, tickle his taste buds and mm. he doesn't go for mm. conventional fare. Yeah. Um, and he says it's best when he's overseas cause he could end oh, up in China really or Thailand. Or, right, right. Yeah. So he says he's had some, some really great experiences with, uh, with different foods and then he does as much traveling as he can sightseeing while he's at a venue or in a city. Although there's not a whole lot of time, uh, you know, between soundcheck and the gig, you can either go back to the hotel and crash. Or you can hop on a subway or call an Uber or whatever and go visit the local, uh, uh, you know, tourist attraction. Yeah, yeah. Even oh, if it's good. just one yeah. or one museum. Yeah. But yeah, that's a that seems to me to be a great way to kill time. And yeah. uh, Randy Blythe from Lamb of God reads voraciously, and he writes too. Mm -hmm. and, and those are also both great things to do. Yeah, yeah. Now, uh, uh, just because you know Judas Priest does uh, filter through the book uh, there, do you think they'll ever let KK back into Priest? I think there's a lot of love that's been lost between Priest and KK. I think they felt betrayed. And I think what he put in his book, some of it was, was unexpected. And, and uh, Judas Priest are a collection of polite English gentlemen. Yeah, they and really are. <laughs> even, even KK's book isn't really that scintillating comparing, compared no. to Flash's book or, you know. So there's kind of an unspoken rule that you don't let the garbage out of the can. And um, I think KK did a little little bit of that. I don't know that they could never, uh, you know, never mend fences because they were together for decades. Um, but I know Richie Faulkner, the guitarist who replaced Glenn Tipton when Glenn sadly uh, became ill with Parkinson's, um, they love they love Richie. Richie's a great guitarist. He get, injects new blood into the band. The fans like him, and uh, they're still doing great shows. So, and then Glenn comes in and you know does the classics. Uh, well, the, the there'll blood. be less of that because uh, I think Glenn's yeah. going to retire completely uh, due to uh, his uh, Parkinson's. Yeah, unfortunately, I, I, I believe that to be the case. I don't even know how much longer that uh, priest can go, go and do it. I know they're making one more record at least. Mm -hmm. And, uh, they do have a 50th anniversary tour lined up, um, which, you know, is a pretty big thing and I could spell the end, but maybe not. I mean, bands don't break up anymore. They, they say they do. <laughs> they just replace, tour. they replace members until, uh, it's just a tribute act and you didn't even know it. <laughs> but kiss are on their farewell tour. Still, I think they announced it six years ago and, and, Motley Crue said, "We'll never, never. get back right. together. Yeah. We, we we're going to sign in blood that we're they not. Did. They did. They signed that contract saying, and they're still back. <laughs> and now the dates are out. Yeah. And 
who could imagine Guns N' Roses getting back together? And boom. So, you know, I think uh, there's an itch these people have to to recapture that uh, that magic that they enjoyed in their youth when these certain people with that certain chemistry were on stage. And that's not to say they can't be replaced because you know, Richie Faulkner is a great guitarist and sounds great with Judas Priest. But for instance, when you had uh, a different singer singing when Rob Halford quit the band, um, although he was a great vocalist and could could capture Rob's range, it just wasn't the same. Yeah, the fans didn't. They didn't, didn't buy. See it yeah. The same way. yeah, they didn't buy like uh, with Rob. And uh, you know, it, it's hard, especially when you're an icon like Rob Halford uh, is. Uh, you know, uh, an inventor of uh, the sound, uh, and uh, it, it, that, and the look, and, and the look, and yeah, uh, and uh, uh, you know, it's it, and it's always hard to replace the the singer in general. Um, uh, although some have uh, successfully done that, but um, yeah, that 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 was always a, a hard job for Ripper to to ever. Uh, achieve and uh, he did as best as anybody could uh, from uh, everything that I've read so uh, and he's been very gracious about the fact that they even hired him to be in the band you know clearly he was out the second Rob said he would come back Uh I'm sure you know they didn't break it well they I'm sure they broke it to him as 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 softly as they could but there was no argument you know there's no option of any other way and and he gracefully accepted it yeah you know yeah i I totally get it rob was my favorite singer it's gonna suck not to be with you guys but you know yeah yeah yeah, everyone moves on and and uh sabbath replaced their singers a couple times interestingly yeah Uh, and and successfully very very well yeah i thought ronnie james dio was a phenomenal frontman for that band oh yeah Um, yeah at least for especially that first uh album uh, well, the first heaven two. and hell uh, and the second album as well yeah mm-hmm. yeah yeah but uh and, but then there was fighting and he left and yeah. that's the problem he'd keep fighting with them and then rejoining and he did dehumanizer which was another good album not as good as the others but uh certainly better than anything he'd done at least i think with with glenn hughes or, or ian gillen who were the other kind yeah. of regulars that did um, back yeah that that filled in for ozzy yeah then ozzy came back yeah. and <laughs> yeah. good old ozzy Good old yeah. Ozzy. Well, it all begins and ends with Ozzy. Yeah. All right. So, uh, uh, which band or artist? Uh, and, and this is a two-part question. What do you think gets the prize for just being the worst human beings to ever live on the planet? Or if you had to pick one band to stay away from because you might actually get killed and eaten, who would it be and why? <laughs> well, <laughs> that's pretty funny. Um. You know, you'd have to go with some of the black metal Satanists who, having done what they've done, even if they're not burning churches anymore, you kind of have to have your guard up when you're around them, I would guess. (laughs) Wouldn't wouldn't want to go drinking with them and and, uh, exchanging political views. Let's put it that way. (laughs) Well, John, what's next for you? Um, well, right now I'm uh, promoting this new book called Raising Hell, but I'm I'm also in uh, discussions with a, a couple of artists. Uh, I'd really like to do another another memoir, an authorized biography that I write with a musician. Um, the ones I've done, I, I've been proud of and have been received well. Uh, it's just a matter of finding the right chemistry and the right combination and people with similar schedules and it's it's something that's difficult to uh, to navigate and 
and and make happen. But um, that's my goal right now. So so hopefully soon, um, you'll be hearing about uh, another book I'm writing with a, a rock and roll luminary. Awesome, awesome. Well, John Wiederhorn, it's been great having you on Deeper Digs and Rock with us today. Yeah, thanks for uh, you know really uh, digging deep and and uh, going into the comprehensive uh, uh, you know facets of of metal. Just great uh, time talking with John Wiederhorn. Uh, please uh, go out and get uh, Raising Hell, Backstage Tales from the Lives of Metal Legends. You won't be disappointed. You'll have a lot of fun. Uh, like I said, it's one of those books you can just leave around and grab uh, at a moment's notice to, to get a chuckle or widen the eyes, open the mouth, uh, you know, give the devil horns, uh, whatever, whatever floats your boat uh, and makes you feel good. Um, so, uh, you know, I, I think what I, I want to kind of just mention today is that, you know, metalers are, are just so uh, such an obsessive subgenre of rock and roll. Uh, and, and a long-standing one, you know. I mean, uh, I think we can probably all agree that you know the the real genesis of uh, of metal begins with Black Sabbath's uh, first album, which came out uh, this month uh, in uh, uh, 1970. So it's it's 50 years uh, ago, uh, and uh, you know those guys have just finished up their supposedly their final tour, uh, and then it just continues to morph and and split off and another road it's it's like this giant growing thorn bush that never stops uh sprouting new um uh new branches and uh and leaves and flowers uh that uh uh you know continues and and you know I, you know I, I think it's fair to say that uh you know uh, the metal players uh, are usually good players. You just have to be uh, that uh, good of a musician to keep up to it. There's obviously a, a, a large bit of athleticism that goes along with that, and I think that's another thing that, to think about with uh, with uh, the metal music, and that is you can only do it for so long before you know you just don't have the physicality to continue because it is like uh, in in many ways. Uh, a bit more athletic than, than many other forms of music that, you know, I mean, the Rolling Stones can get up there and do it when they're 80s in that blues-based music. But, uh, you know, for, you know, Morbid Angel or Slayer or Anthrax to continue to do this when they're like in their 70s, oh, man, I, I don't think they can do that. Um, 
you know, uh, that's that's a big reason why uh, uh, Neil Peart, uh, God rest his soul, um, you know, decided to uh, hang it up uh, because uh, he just couldn't keep up with the uh, the physicality that was needed out there. But but, uh, you know, on the positive side, um, you know, you, you just you, know, you 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 can't get a, a more dedicated fan base uh, than than the metalheads uh, out there, uh, regardless of what subgenre you may be into, um, you know, uh, black metal, Swedish death metal, or what have you. Uh, and there's always something new coming around. Um, uh, there uh, is uh, an industrial quality to to it in some respects. There's, I guess, grindcore. There's uh, um, uh, there's screamo uh, there's all kinds of uh, of elements that uh, turn into uh, what we we now think of metal so uh, anyway uh, that, that's just my two cents I love thinking about this stuff and uh, uh, I, I enjoy a good metal show uh, every now and then. Uh, get the angst out, uh, the the sweat going, and uh, I've been uh, my fair share of mosh pits, uh, and uh, and do love uh, love uh, uh, seeing uh, these guys uh, perform uh, every once in a while. So, you know, I like all kinds of music, all forms of music, and uh, this is uh, just as fun as as any of the rest. I don't know how serious uh, you should take it. Uh, some take it more serious than other. I, I remember I was like shocked when I found out that Black Sabbath weren't really devil worshippers; that they really were more hammer uh, uh, film uh, worshippers than devil worshippers. Those of you know uh, the uh, the British uh, Hammer Studios uh, will remember uh, those uh, kind of kitschy uh, horror movies. But uh, so anyway, uh, I love I love it. I have fun with it, and I hope you do too. Okay, that's it. That's all for this week. Um, hey, you know what to do. Keep up the rockin'. Deeper Digs in Rock, produced and hosted by Christian Swain. All sound design and incidental music by Busy Signal Studios. Find all of our shows, notes, social, and links at www.pantheonpodcast.com or wherever you listen to great podcasts. All songs can be found for purchase on iTunes, Spotify, or Google Play. Please purchase these great and important tracks. Find us on Facebook at the RNRAP. We are on Instagram at RNR Archaeology. Tweet us at RNR Archaeology. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. 
FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points.